In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Today is the third Sunday of Epiphany, the year 2022. I'm saying this for the benefit of those who might be listening later on the podcast. Our readings are from the Book of Common Prayer, Year C. And so we have readings this morning from Nehemiah. You've heard them all. Nehemiah, Psalm 113, uh, 1 Corinthians, and the Gospel of Luke. I've discerned from my own study of these readings uh, that there are two themes, a major theme and a minor theme. Now what I'm going to call a major theme you might think is minor and the reverse. So let me have a go at it. To me, we're, the Old Testament and the Gospel represent a homecoming. The Psalm and the Epistle represent the power and the unity of God. So you can see it could go either way. But that's how I see it. Homecomings are wonderful. I think of high school. Uh, you go away for a few years. You come back for your 10th, uh, in my case, also the 50th. So there's a big gap in between. But it's a homecoming. Why do, you, why do we do that? Why does that have meaning for people? Because high school, for most of us, is a... A formation, a formative years, getting ready uh, for life. It was not the same for me with college. It was high school. And even today, I keep in touch with many of my friends. Some of them stayed in town. I'm from southeastern Virginia. Some of them moved away. Many of them live in the villages. So it was one of those things when you go back for the reunion, everyone was looking to see, well, who drove up in a Mercedes? <laughs> or, or, or a beetle. When I, when I drove up, I, I couldn't find a parking space, so I, I parked my beetle far away. <laughs> Last night, uh, Patricia and I had the joy of watching our granddaughter. She sings in a middle school choir. And there was a choir competition last night in seventh grade. It's amazing. It had 50, at least 50 kids for hers. There were three, I think, three schools participating. But they were all in unison. They did their act. They moved their arms away. They sang real loud. They had a lot of energy. We could see her formation. We could see how she's coming along. Some of us have to leave home from time to time. I know a rector... Uh, the job that he has with the prison fellowship has to leave for three or four days at a time. Uh, our bishop has to leave for uh, three or four days at a time, sometimes weeks, uh, because his jurisdiction is so large worldwide. But I'm sure both of them are real happy with their homecoming. They're coming home. So leaving home involves, at some level, a transition in a person's life. Some are great. Some are not as great. Homecomings have meanings. The British writer and historian Paul Johnson, who, by the way, I looked him up last night, he's still living at age 93, wrote an interesting book published in 1987 titled A History 
of the Jews. And I read it years ago, and I, I read it before this because things that I read in, in the uh, Gospel uh, struck a bell. So I went back to research that book. It's a fascinating book and one that interests me a lot. Johnson chronicled his chapters according to major transitions in the life of the Jews from the time of Abraham to the time of the Holocaust and more or less to the present day. He had it divided into seven parts. Part one was about the Israelites. You can see it was a chronological movement. Part two was Judaism. Okay, part three was called Catholicocracy. And I looked that up and, and uh, some of the other scholars around the world saying that Paul Johnson made up that word. <laughs> and let me read the small print. It was a term coined by Johnson meaning the Jews and the creation of the Dark Age city, Spain, and the Jewish problems and the destruction of Spanish Jewry. That was part three. Part four was the ghetto. Part five was emancipation. And part six, the Holocaust. Part seven was a summation, but was entitled Zion. Now of interest this morning for us are the first two sections, the Israelites and Judaism. That first section was the formation of the Israelites, including Moses, the law, divine sovereignty, human sanctity, theocracy, kings Saul, David, and Solomon, Elijah, Isaiah, and the birth of conscience, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, the first Jew. Johnson's book then transitions from the Israelites to Judaism, which lends itself to our reading this morning from the book of Nehemiah. Following the death of King Solomon of the Kingdom of Israel, the United Kingdom of Israel collapsed. The ten tribes of the north and the two tribes of the south separated. They had their own kingdoms. The north virtually disappeared, except when Jesus met the woman at the well years later. Many think that all the Jews in the south went into Babylonian captivity, but there were two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, but the people of uh, Benjamin, they never left. They didn't take them. The captives took the elite of Judah, the ones who knew how to do things, the ones who could cause them problems, potentially, the ones who had arts and crafts, things that they could do. And so when they went into captivity, some of them melted in with with the uh, captives as one of them. Some did not. Those that did not have been termed the remnant. So if these people are out there, now what? What has become of God's promise to his chosen people? What of those promises? Were the prophets wrong? Let's take Ezekiel. He was in the first part of the waves taken into exile in 597. In a vision, Ezekiel describes how God took him to a valley which was full of bones and asked him, Son of man, can these bones live? Then God put on these bones sinews, flesh, and skin, and finally God breathed into them life. Now some 400 years later, later Christians would interpret this scene as an image of the resurrection of the dead. 
But to Ezekiel and his audience of his day, this vision was a sign of the resurrection of all Israel, some of whom were in captivity, living in exile, but would in the future be in Israel living much closer to God and to be more dependent on God than ever before. Each man and each woman created by God, each individually responsible to God, each committed from birth to lifelong obedience to God's law. Therefore, if Jeremiah was the first Jew, it was Ezekiel and his visions which gave a dynamic impulse to the formation of Judaism. So there's a distinct break. This is a transition from the Israelites into Judaism. They had to do something, the people who were in exile. No longer did they have their temple. They, the temple is where God and Israel met. They were in the same place at the same time. They didn't have that in exile. They had to do something. No longer was there a temple and, uh, where heaven and earth were one. So the southern kingdom, or at least many of them who were living in a foreign land without their temple, without their liturgies, without traditions of their land, in captivity, they experienced being an unsettled people. They had to do something. Now, if we take the high view, historically, we can see in religious terms, there were four great formative periods in Israelite Jewish history. The first was under Abraham, second under Moses, the third during and after the exile, and the fourth was after the destruction of the second temple. The first two periods produced the religion of Yahweh, the third and fourth developed into and refined what we know as Judaism. What we now know as the Old Testament scripture and the Psalms though part of the tradition always, were structured by the Jews, structured by the Jews while in captivity. The unsettled atmosphere of the exile developed into a period of high creativity in Jewish literature. So this brings us to the book of Nehemiah, finally. Chapter 8, we heard read a few minutes ago, certain Jews were returned to Judah at long last. And what the Jews heard in this reading was very emotional to them. They were back on their land. But they weren't in charge, but they were back in their land. Through a long process, the Persian king Cyrus allowed these Jews to return to Jerusalem. Though not a nation like that of Solomon when he was king of all Israel, these newly formed Jews and descendants of Abraham kept and refined their tradition while in that unsettled situation. In fact, upon return to Jerusalem, they still had no state of their own, but they formed a new covenant with God based upon their refined text in Judaism. This was a major transition from the Israel of old to Judaism. Nehemiah was the governor of Judah for a while under the Persian king, and prior to Nehemiah's time as governor, there were three failed attempt at resettling the Jews in Judah. But Nehemiah, a man himself of Israelite heritage, happened to be an excellent leader and a builder or an engineer. And on the fourth attempt, he reconstructed the city's wall in 52 days. Only then was there any semblance of being settled 
back in the old Jerusalem on Zion. They really were not settled yet. Clearly it was a time for worship and thanksgiving. The people gathered at the water's gate as if they were one man, and they heard their own, uh, own words of the book of the Law of Moses. Ezra the priest, standing on a wooden platform, especially made for proclamation, read passages in the Hebrew language. Now, the reading this morning doesn't say that. But my research shows that in verses 4, 5, and 6, Ezra was reading that in the Hebrew tongue. And there were people who were standing around him. And the people stood and blessed the Lord. And the people answered Ezra, Amen, and lowered their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now afterwards, the Levites, now in the version we read, which is uh, the uh, ESV, the English Standard Version, is a little different from the NIV. The NIV starts out with the name Levites, whereas the ESV ends with that, all that whole list of names. But the Levites, in Aramaic, helped the people to understand the law. Be quiet, they told the people, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make a great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So captivity forced the Jews out of Judah. But in another sense, captivity forced the Jews to listen more to God in an unsettled way. Therefore, this homecoming, though honored, had to have been bittersweet. The Spirit of the Lord was in them as they refined their faith and helped prepare the way for their Messiah. Now Jesus, after being tempted by Satan, if you go to the beginning of this chapter of Luke, he returns to Galilee to his hometown where on the Sabbath he preached in the synagogues. The synagogue is an innovation of the exile. Everybody, the Jews and some Gentiles in the surrounding area, knew that Jesus was coming. And Jesus went to Nazareth, a homecoming of sorts. And what good can come out of Nazareth? And so in today's reading, we heard the Gospel according to Luke. It was written that Jesus was handed a scroll. And from the scroll of the of prophet Isaiah, Jesus read the following. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat. And all the eyes of the synagogue were on him. Perhaps like the eyes were on Ezra earlier. And Jesus turned and said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. I